You know, the way I started to see it was that COVID, what it did was that it revealed the cracks that were already there. If, if it was true that you had to go to the office, 80% of businesses should have shut down. But no, they just went online. It, it was like a, a hose that washed through the driveway, revealing all the cracks. And then you had an opportunity to either um, get upset and give up or to patch over the cracks and, and, and make your business pandemic proof. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten down. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go for that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Today, we're doing a follow-up episode with Maxwell Nee. He was episode 68 of Finding Founders. So if you want to hear his full story, go check that out. But this episode is just a recap of how he's been doing during COVID and how he's been able to get over every obstacle that was thrown his way and a little advice about how people can build their own online coaching businesses, which I'm actually taking myself right now. But without further ado, here's Maxwell Nee. I am Australian, but I've got, uh, I'm a co-founder in a business called High Performing Coach. What we do is we help coaches build a, a high fee online coaching business from the heart without like websites or business cards or anything like that. So we show them the simplest way for them to build their business online. And uh, that's what we do. We've been doing that for about uh, two to three years now. Or that's a little bit about like who you are, but in terms of what you've been doing, we last kind of chatted about coming out of COVID and weathering that storm. So what have you been doing since February? Yeah, so, you know, before COVID happened, 80% of our revenue came from live events, like in-person ones in London. And we pivoted to, to online event. So literally doing the same thing, charging the same price because we didn't want to change that. Charging the same price. I feel like that's bold. Yeah. We, yeah. We, so we, you know, it was either put the price down, cut it in half and everyone, a lot of people did that. But we thought, you know, what if the world's ready to to have the same experience online because they've got no other choice, right? Um, and what if the world's just ready for it anyway? So then um, we did that. So we had tickets, you know, going for up to $200 for like a, to, to join a Zoom meeting. You know, they sold just as well. And we basically ran that strategy all of last year into this year. And the thing that's crazy about that is like with a live in-person event, you have a, a bunch of constraints, right? One of the constraints is the location. But now that your event is on a Zoom, you could essentially have everyone from all of the world come to that event. So like, I imagine that strategy could allow you to massively scale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what it's done is that it's opened us up from like a location model to a time zone model. So we've got, you know, the whole UK, the whole uh, Europe, you know, we even have people get up at 4.30 in the morning on the East Coast of America. Uh, we've got people in South Africa. That's what we really open ourselves up to. And that's what we train our clients in. And it's sort of really transformed everything because it's so easy to run. There's no costs, you know, there's, there's a lot more competition now compared to when we first started, but um, we're, you know, we're still doing it. It still works for us. And I um, mean, you know, I'm really passionate about it because it just posting up an event on, on Eventbrite 
sending people a link to your Zoom room, you could have the same thing. It was just as effective. We charge the same price and, you know, literally no cost. And you could do it over and over and over again. So that, you know, the risk to, to testing and pivoting and improving your event um, drastically decreases. So that there really is like no excuse now to, to put yourself out there and start doing them. That's so cool. And I think it also just shows that a crisis can easily turn into an asset if you tackle it with the right mindset. Yeah. So um, just to say one thing about the crisis, you know, the crisis helping us to, to mold our business. You know, the way I started to see it was that COVID, what it did was that it revealed the cracks that were already there. If, if it was true that you had to go into the office, 80% of businesses should have shut down. But no, they just went online. It, it was like a, a hose that washed through the driveway, revealing all the cracks. And then you had an opportunity to either um, get upset and give up or to patch over the cracks and, and, and make your business pandemic proof. That's how I really love to look at, at COVID. So tell me about this event that's coming up on November 19th. Um, okay, so we have an event and this intensive, we're going to be going deep into everything it is to, to be a coach and to be able to offer your business, your services online uh, in today's climate. We do them every two months and they're never the same because there's new things that we learn each and every time. You know, it's a bit like, you know, I've got a, my, my business partner who will be leading the event. His name's Ryan Matthew. He's writing a book right now and every month the book gets better. Because the world's changing so fast, we're learning so much about what's new and what's not like so quickly. The way I see it is that this day is your coaching business in a box in one day. If you just take away what you take away from this day, you'll know exactly what it takes, exactly what's involved. You could even start creating some clients straight away. And then you could decide when you want to just press the button because you know exactly what's involved and you can see the future of your business and what it's going to take to make it happen. That's awesome. I mean, that that sounds like an invaluable resource that you're providing to these people. So that's November 19th. Where can people go to check that out? Yeah, absolutely. So but basically the URL is uh, highperforming.coach forward slash workshop. And all of our events um, in the future use the same URL. So even if you aren't able to come to this one, the same URL will point you towards the next one that we have. And um, we're planning to bring in-person ones back to London in, um, in March, which will be really exciting. I literally just spoke to a, uh, an audio visual guy today to have live streaming. So we're going to have the best of both. So we're going to have... That's super exciting. I mean, it seems like you've uh, paved over all the cracks and have an amazing new business model on your hands. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. You know, it's it's at the time it was a bit stressful, it was a bit annoying or whatever. But, you know, what it is, is that it's a bit like, it, it's what keeps business interesting, you know, because business can actually get boring if it's sort of working too well. And then um, COVID sort of invented everyone figure it out how to how to live and work remotely <laughs> that's incredible and i think that's an amazing perspective to have
So I guess now, now what we'll do is we'll go into the uh, actionable advice. I'll, I'll kind of just kind of ask you questions around uh, one of the projects that we started recently. I've had a couple like podcast coaching clients and I basically like developed this maybe 10 week thing just for those individual clients. I'm like, oh, like maybe, maybe I can scale this. So I did like this four week cohort where I got 30 people together. They went through the four weeks. Um, I got 10 testimonials at the end and people really, really enjoyed it. So now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to actually charge for it. If you were to structure an outreach model for this, how would you do that? With anything like this in the online space, you don't want to forward engineer what you have. You want to reverse engineer what's already working for other people. Because even though like audiences are different, the trends of how and why people buy uh, are all the same. So how much is your program? I'm thinking 500 per person. I asked that question at the end of the testimonial. Uh, the lowest someone told me was like 200 and the highest was 2000. The average was probably somewhere around 500. Okay, cool. Yeah, great, great data. So anything under about 300 is, is pretty easy to sell without, like you could just literally throw it up on a sales page and put it in front of enough people, then they'll buy it. Anything over a thousand generally does need a call, like a, a call and a connection. 500 mark is a bit of a tricky, tricky barrier because it's, it's low, but it's not low enough for people to sort of take a gamble on. The price of the program is almost reverse engineered from the program. Is it a start-stop program? Yeah, that's, that's how it works for the last one. And, and then I'm also going to provide the recorded episodes or recorded sessions from the last program. Okay, cool. So there, there is a start-stop element. There's natural urgency because, well, if you miss it, then you got to wait for the next one. So with a start-stop, I would basically send out a lot of soft communications and emails saying, hey, you know, pod 30 is going to be starting, you know, sometime later this year. Here's the benefits. Here's, here's what, it, what, what it entails. Click here to register to join the waiting list. And your goal is you want to have at least five times the number of space of people on the waiting list. How many spaces would you, would you have in the program? I could manage as many as I had the first time. So 30. Okay, 30, right? So you want to have 150 people on the waiting list. And the thing about that is that it's very easy to get people to commit to, to a waiting list because there's no there's nothing they need to pay for. There's no commitment or whatever. For those people on the waiting list, then you want to just share a bit more about what's involved, the benefits and stuff. And then on the launch date, you send a pay waiting list just to let you know we're launching today. There's 150 people on this waiting list and there's only 30 spots. So here's the price for it today. To be totally transparent with you as well, in about two weeks, the price goes up to $3.99 and then, and then it goes up to whatever, like $4.99. That creates urgency in two ways. The first urgency is there's 150 people, only 30 spots. That creates the perception that there's high demand. So it's like, shit, if I want this thing, I'm going to take action. When you're building the waiting list, you, you could say that the full price will be 4 dollars 
but here's the link to join the waiting list, right? And then you give them like a nice surprise. They can buy it for $2.99 if they take action at the first invitation. So people will join the waiting list just because there's no cost. Yeah, so, so that they'll be the first to know. So that makes sense for the strategy to get, like basically convert that email list. But how would you recommend reaching out to people to actually build that list? Yeah, so you could reach out to people, you know, one by one and say, hey, we've got this thing. Uh, it's not available right now. See, the, the funny thing is that when you say to someone that there's something to buy, but they can't buy it right now, and it's something that could add value to them, it drives them crazy, right? It really, really sparks a lot of emotion. It'll make them want to be on the waiting list. And the waiting list number of 150 people waiting for the waiting list, that gives a perception that there's 149 people you got to compete with to get your spot. Right. That's the perception. But the reality is probably not the case. The reality is probably there's only like 12 people that would actually buy, but there's 150 people that would tick a, tick a registration just so they don't miss out on, on information. The waiting list concepts, it's a bit like, I want you to imagine you walk past a restaurant in Santa Monica, you walk past Elefante. Yeah. You walk past Elefante and you see a line around the door, but you've never been there before. You don't know anything about that place. You haven't read any reviews, but you see the line. What do you think? Damn good place. Damn good place, right? So you see the waiting list. What do you think? Damn good course. Damn good course. Yeah. So that that's all you need them to think. Right. So that that's that's the magic of the waiting list. So I would be having people, you know, reach out to build the waiting list. And then in the second message, I could say, oh, you know, I'll get back to you when it's available. So the waiting list people, you want to reach out to all of them. So first you sell the initial that those are ready to buy, maybe like the 12 or whatever. And then you reach back out to everyone else, say, hey, it's available now, price is $2.99. I wanted to let you know so you don't miss out and have to buy it at $3.99 or $4.99. And then you just ping them back, but you let them know there's only 21 spots left. There's only 20 spots left. There's only 19 spots left. You put that in front of them because that's the equivalent of them seeing the line outside Elefante. I could see there being at some point some like email fatigue. So what is the balance to strike between letting people know that there is this opportunity that is shrinking in time to to take action, but also not overwhelming people? Facebook group. So you have people join the uh, a Facebook group right off the bat. Yeah. What Facebook is really useful for in like the world of offering things online is that it's a place for social proof. I don't just mean like testimonials and things like case studies, right? People don't buy what other people want to sell. They buy what other people want to buy. That's a quote from my um, one of my mentors. What that means is, you know, you're at a carnival fair. You see a, a rush of people running to one cart to buy some tacos. You just want to go there. Like you want it, not because a guy wants to sell it to you. You want it because other people want it. So the same things on Facebook. So on Facebook, like for example, what I do is all of our events, I post up who's coming to the next workshop, type me in the chat. And then um, everyone in the Facebook group says me, 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 me. And it's like, wow, you know, all these people are going, what, what am I missing out on? It's that real fear of what am I missing out on that'll, that'll get people into action or, you know, they might not buy it, but they'll at least listen to, to your podcast to check you out. They're more trusting in you compared to two hours ago. So that's great when you have a, you know, when you have the flywheel going, but everyone starts from if zero people in the Facebook group. So like, how do you build up social proof when you don't have social proof? The number of people with the group isn't, doesn't matter so much. It's how engaged they are, you know? So if you invited 30 people into the group that are on the waiting list, say, come and join the Facebook group. The Facebook group is the waiting list as an example. Then that group is just used as like a communication board for people to compete with each other on who wants to get into the program first or who is getting into the program. What matters is 
they are motivating each other to buy. And that can happen with two people. The people who went through the whole pod 30 last time, the free iteration, wanted a place where they could keep in touch with each other. Would it be a good idea to have those people within the same group? Because right now I just have them in a Slack channel, but probably best to have them on a Facebook channel where you can have that social proof outside of it, right? Yes. You want them in there because you know the best people to promote your business isn't you. It's not me. It's your previous clients. And if they are advocates for your business, then they're the best people to have in there because they'll, they'll drive that energy. You know, they might just like a few times. They might say a few things like, I love week two. I love week three. You know, week four is the best. I've had one-to-one of Sam since. That was great. All that sort of stuff. Right. That is like so valuable because here's like the marketing joke. There's a distinction that'll be in my book called perception versus reality. If you hear from three friends in a week, Elefante has great pizza. What's the perception? But Elefante has a great pizza. Right. And everyone's talking about it. You know, the, the perception is like, it's everyone. The whole, the whole universe is telling me that Elefante has great pizza because I heard it three times in the same week. But what's the reality? It's only three people. Yeah, it's only three people. Right. You know, it's like, it's like when you hear two people in the same day tell you, wow, that's a really good movie. Holy shit, I need to see that movie. That's not even the funniest part. The funniest part is because you've heard that, like I've done this. I hear from three people that a movie's good. I haven't even watched it. Then I start telling other people, yeah, go watch that movie. I've heard it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard it's good. I've heard it's really good. You know, and then the look in my eyes convinces that person. And then all of a sudden, three people turns 10 people into watching a movie when the other seven didn't even have any more information than it's a good movie. You know, they, they haven't even seen it. That's perception versus reality. That's what I mean. Like little Facebook groups don't discount them because it just takes three, five people say, oh, week two is the best. Week two is the best. Week two is the best. For someone to say, look, I'm ready to buy because I want to buy that week. I want to get week two because everyone's talking about it. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. I like this strategy. But let's say you want to have 10,000 people in your course. What would someone do if they wanted to do ad spend or put money to like Facebook ads? Or would you even recommend that kind of strategy? For example, let's say that the, the pod 30, you know, we, we get 30 people paying $2.99. We're like, oh my God, this is a massive hit and they're enjoying it. Does it make sense to continue to outreach in the same way? Or does your approach to collect those next people change as you grow your course? Yeah. So I would always do the waiting list if you have a start stop. But the question is now, like, how can I fill the waiting list more effectively? In the world of business, there's consistency versus intensity, right? For example, let's say you had $10,000 to spend on ads. Intensity is spending 10 grand on doing a massive event, filling up a waiting list for a whole year. Okay. But that isn't as effective as consistency, where if you spend that 10 grand, you divide it over 12 months and you do, like, for example, weekly workshops, say every two weeks and you fill them up and you have them fill up the waiting list, like, you know, every two weeks over the 12 months. See, that's more effective because it takes 10 days for people to forget the great experience they had, even though it was this amazing thing. It's that length of time that really pays off in business. I'd be looking at like, for example, weekly podcasts, like workshops, right? Like hints and tips and maybe you unpack half of week one or whatever, or like three quick wins that are in the program. What matters is people are soaking it up over a long period of time. And then the perception becomes, you know, I trust these guys because I've known them for a while. I've been following them for a while. Not just, I saw him this one hit events in May. 
That's how you build trust and relationships at scale because trust and relationships take time and you can't cheat time. If you have relationships with a thousand fans, then you could easily have a 200K a year business. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That's all you need. If you get a thousand people to read every email, then you know, you're on your way to multiple six figures. We've already given so much wisdom in this founder wisdom episode, but if you were to have it boil down to one piece of advice to people who are thinking about starting an online business and specifically a coaching business, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, it would be not just for coaches or whoever, it would be just to work with someone. You know, like if you want to have your own coaching business, work with a coach that has their own coaching business and they teach people how to do it. You know, if you want to have your own podcast, work with someone like Sam who has his own podcast, 50K views a month and has committed to teaching other people how to do it. Yeah. And also like search for mentors. Like you met, you mentioned a piece of advice that you've gotten from your mentor and uh, learn from people who have done it before. Because otherwise it's a bit like being a naive, I don't know, you're naive and you're 14. I want to drive a car. I can figure it out. And just jumping in a car, 14 years old, going down the highway, figuring it out. That's what it's like uh, trying to figure out how to do this business stuff, whether it's a podcast, coaching or whatever. You know, you don't do that. It's illegal to do that. (laughs) You go and get a driving instructor to get a business instructor, basically. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our Chief of Staff and Operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Burkle, Matt Fernandez, Nay Buchanan, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Luis Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibadat Rai, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya. Tiffany Dane, Jonathan Wass, and Diana Marie Candazza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.